0: Could there be many more holies in one verse or two verses than that? Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Emphasis on holy. (laughs) All right? Is that legalism? That's not legalism, that's scripture. That's Christianity, that's true Christianity. We've got to be holy as he is holy. It's our obligation. Don't conform to the sinful nature. Live as he lives. Be holy because he's holy. That's what we're called to. Why is he telling the church that if you continue to do all these sins, you will not inherit the kingdom of God? Is that a heavy teaching? Now, the church rejects that sort of teaching these days because the scriptures clearly say it, that if I don't tell you, That unless you resist the sin nature, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. If I don't tell you that, guess what? If you don't inherit the kingdom of God, I become accountable. But if I've told you, and then you don't inherit the kingdom of God, I've done my part. going to be a bit of a work session for you, so get your Bibles open. I'm doing a a New Testament survey of salvation and holiness. Now, the reason why I'm doing that, the reason why I'm going to go through book by book, and it's not going to be what I do every week, so if you get sick of it, you know, after three or four weeks, you know, I might not do it every week. The reason is, is because probably the most um, twisted and distorted and Messed up doctrine in Christianity today is the doctrine of salvation and the doctrine of holiness. And I thought rather than um, uh, rather than just pull a scripture here or a scripture there to, to present to you in relation to what it really does say about salvation and what it really does say about holiness, I thought I'm just going to go through all the different books of the Bible and reveal what each and every author in the Bible in the new testament has to say about it because i think it's it's really important why is it important why do you think the doctrine of salvation is so important well it's what we all what it's all about isn't it you know and and this is the thing this is something that i don't think enough ministers make very clear what are we saved from I was talking with Daniel about this the other day. What are we saved from? God's wrath. So what is God's wrath? According to Scripture. The word that most churches don't use these days. Hell. We are saved from hell. That's the doctrine of salvation. Jesus came and he said it was for this hour that I came. And then he's he's referring to the cross. That the hour that he came and the reason he came was to die on that cross. Why? To save us from hell. So shouldn't that be the thrust? Shouldn't that be the the emphasis of the church today? Did he come to make you rich and prosperous? Uh, No, I know you don't believe that. Yet yeah, in, in heaven, absolutely, in heaven he came to make us rich and prosperous. You know? But there's, there's many holy men of God that you know, didn't have much. And these men influenced people for Christ everywhere, yet they didn't have much. They didn't have much in the, in the bank. They didn't have much in their, in their home. They lived like paupers. You know? They gave out everything they had into the kingdom of God. Right? They didn't get their riches on earth, they got it in heaven. doesn't mean God doesn't want us to have good things on earth either. You know, he blesses some Christians to be rich because they can handle it, like Job. He wasn't a Christian because he didn't know about Christ at that time. But Job was blessed, but he was a holy man, wasn't he? We know he was a holy man. So if a Christian is, is blessed with a fortune, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong. But if a Christian is poor and doesn't have much, that doesn't mean there's something wrong either. It's just our lot. We have our lot in life. There's things that that we all get given different tests and different challenges. Sometimes our being poor can be the biggest test to be a Christian. I know someone who turned to Christ because he was promised that he would become rich. You know, if he gave into the kingdom of God. But he didn't after 10 years. He was still poor. So he gave up Jesus Christ because he was poor. Right? So that can be the biggest challenge. And it's, so sometimes it's as hard for a poor man to get into the kingdom of heaven as it is for a camel to get through the eye of a needle. You know? So I think the doctrine of salvation is very important. And I think it's going to help us to understand some things. Now, let's turn to Titus two one quickly. And And this is... I'm bringing this up because doctrine matters. Amen? Doctrine is so important. I've heard churches that say, you know, doctrine's not, that, not the problem as long as we believe in Jesus. As long as we, you know, look to the cross, doctrine doesn't matter. What does it say in Titus 2.1? You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. What's sound doctrine? Correct doctrine. Doctrine that is true. Doctrine according to scripture. So we must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. So I think doctrine matters. So I'm going to teach as close to what I believe from my research what the scriptures say. And according to what the spirit is saying to me as well. Now, J.I. Packer declared there can be no spiritual health without doctrinal knowledge. You can't be spiritually healthy if your doctrine is messed up. Simply can't. A Mormon can't be spiritually healthy because their doctrine is messed up. Martin Lloyd-Jones wisely asserts, we cannot have the benefit of Christianity if we shed its doctrines. If we ignore, and that, mean, that means ignoring any of the, of the fundamental or foundational doctrines. If you ignore them, if you, uh, if you push them away, if you ignore the doctrine of hell, you're not a thorough Christian. You're not a Christian that understands the truth. The doctrine of hell is so important to the Christian that Jesus came for that very purpose, to die so that we could overcome hell and not have to go there. Right. So the doctrine of hell is important. It was very important to Jesus. He actually taught on it all the time. Philip Brooks observes, The truth is no preacher ever had any strong power that was not preaching of doctrine. Real, true power to change. There's, there's ministers around that don't preach true doctrine and they have large followings, but we're talking about power to preach the truth of, gospel, of the gospel. Augustus Williams said, the question is not whether a doctrine is beautiful, but whether it is true. We know hell is unsavoury, isn't it? It's not a nice doctrine, the doctrine of hell. It's actually a terrible doctrine. But it's not whether it's beautiful or not. It's not whether it's a good doctrine thing or not it's just all we can say about hell is it's just amen who knows that would God create a place that's not just right what we got to do if we don't understand those these things we've got to always say well God I give you the benefit of the doubt that you understand more than I do you knit me together so you must understand a little bit more than I do because I can't knit Someone like me together. Someone is, you know, to look like me. When we wish to go to a place, we do not ask whether the road leads through a pretty country, but whether it is the right road. That's um, a really important thing. So we know the narrow road is narrow for a reason, because few get on that road. And also, the narrow road, uh, according to what we find out from the early Christians, is a pretty crazy, rocky road that. Goes in all directions and and has some really steep climbs and very treacherous climbs. People fall off it very easily. It's a hard road to stay on. Who knows that? If you've been a Christian for a few years, you'll discover the the, the road to of Christianity is not easy. It's not easy to stay fervent all the time for Christ, is it? You know, we've all had those lapses. Put up your hand if you've ever had a lapse in your Christianity. Yeah. If you've ever, you know, gone down for a little bit and felt what is going on, you know, and then, but who knows that God brings you out of it if you stick, stay to the course, yeah? Who knows that those times can be the, the best times for growth too. You can actually learn so much in those low times when things aren't going the way you hoped. So that's, this is why doctrine is so critical because we've got to have our doctrine straight. Let's turn to 1 Peter. I'm starting in 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1 2. And it says this. It starts on who. You could say, we could add in there just before who, say, you who have been chosen. You who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work. And what sanctifying work is, sanct- if you're sanctified, you're made holy. So through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling by his blood. So you have been chosen according to the great foreknowledge that God, before you were created in, in your mother's womb, God saw you, and he, in that foreknowledge, He sanctified you, especially once you turn to Jesus Christ. You were sanctified by the Spirit and for obedience. So you were sanctified to be obedient, to obey Jesus Christ. And this is the thing that's little taught, is that you're made holy to obey Jesus Christ and to fulfill the Great Commission. That should be the first thing a new Christian is told. You're sanctified, you're made holy so that you would obey Jesus Christ and fulfill the Great Commission. Start to live for him. Start to live for him. That's 1 Peter one two. Now that correlates with Ephesians 1.4. Just turn there quickly. And Ephesians 1.4 says, For he chose us in him... He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be, what does it say? To be holy. Did I, I just want to say to these legalists, or people that call me a legalist, because I've had a few just recently, you're a legalist, you know, that it's by faith. And Did I say that? Where's this written? Is this written in the Bible? Does it say, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy? So if, if we're chosen before the creation of the world to be holy, should we not preach, be holy? Why do you think Paul wrote that there? So that we'd read it and say, I'm, I've been chosen to be holy. Now Paul gives us some pretty elaborate um, uh, descriptions of how to be holy and that's coming up now you know what being holy will solve all your christianity's all of christianity's problems all the things that we fail in all the things where we're falling all the time all the sin that we keep on indulging in all those things if we become holy none of that stuff matters anymore and the reason that is is because you live by the spirit you don't you can't be holy by obeying the law You can only be holy by obeying the Spirit. Does that make sense? Now, this is the next thing. How do you obey the Spirit if you can't hear the Spirit? If you don't know what the Spirit is saying. How? It's in your hand. (laughs) The book, the Bible, the manual to life. All the secrets to walking in holiness are in here. And what most people do is they don't read it enough. Or they read it very little. Or they don't read it with the objective of, of taking from these pages what is needed to live that holy life. And to live righteous in God. And to hear the voice of the Spirit as the Spirit speaks through these pages. So Ephesians 1 4 says, We're chosen in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. Are we blameless? In ourselves? No, if we're walking in the Spirit and we've repented of all sin and God's, and we've been cleansed by the blood and been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus, we are holy and blameless. Amen? So what do you do every day? What most of the great men, of, men and women of God of the, of the past did, they get up in the morning and they sanctify themselves to Jesus Christ. They give themselves to him. They say, I am yours. Help me today to walk by the Spirit today. Wash me in your precious blood. Paul used to say, I die daily. Die to the sin nature every day. Decide that day you're not going to obey the um, pulls and lusts and and promptings of the the sinful nature. You're going to just obey the spirit and you're going to do the right thing. Easier said than done, amen? But it can be done because people are doing it all the time. There's people in the world today that are doing it. And we do it. Who knows that you have done that? Who's done that in your life when you've walked in the Spirit? Yeah, You might go a day or two or three. And then you might have a day where you don't walk as well as you'd like to. But what does the Bible say? Repent. And he, he's just. He'll forgive you. Just like a, a father who forgives or a mother who forgives their child when they do something wrong. They might have been really good for a whole week and then they do something wrong they get in big trouble. child says sorry and that child is in, in the mother and father's eyes is redeemed. You're redeemed. You're, you're that wonderful kid again. They just said sorry and they meant it you maybe a few tears and they're redeemed. And you love them as much as you did before they were, were naughty, don't you? You don't hold that naughty thing against them and say, you're a terrible, rotten kid. Oh, yeah, you're, you're redeemed for now, but oh, I don't like you. You know, you love it when a child is asked for forgiveness. So just think, because God calls him himself our Father. Right, that's the Lord's Prayer, our Father. So he, he does that so that we can understand the kind of nature with which he comes to us. And see, this is another thing. In the world, a lot of people get brought up with really, really bad fathers. And so when they hear our father, they relate it to their personal father who was a horrible man, you know, who used to beat him senseless and never forgive him and that. But that's not the true nature of a father, is it? You know, the true nature of a father is to love unconditionally, and that's the God that we have. You'll be in 1 Peter for a, the whole sermon today. 1 Peter 1.14, and it says, As obedient children, there it is again. Are we called to be obedient? Does that mean we're legalists? Just because we are obedient? Does that mean I'm teaching legalism because I'm calling a church to obedience? <laughs> no, because I'm just reading what the scriptures say. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance okay did i say that no the scriptures said it i repeat them and that is not legalism unless if they call that legalism then the bible is full of legalism that's pretty much it because i'm not preaching legalism as obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance That's a give me, isn't it? Of course. Don't conform. Don't do what you used to do. You used to smoke dope? Don't smoke dope anymore. You used to watch porn? Don't watch porn anymore. You used to do all these dreadful things? Like you used to steal without even thinking about it or had no conscience to it? Don't steal anymore. Don't do any of the things that you used to do before you turned to Jesus Christ. Simple. Simple. And... And that's our obligation. We have an obligation, and it's not to the sinful nature. That's what the scriptures say. We have an obligation. Christians are obliged to not conform to the sinful nature. Christians, grace is not you can sin all you want and you're covered by grace. That's not grace. That's, the, that's probably the worst doctrine. It's, it's a foul doctrine that's destroying the church in the West. And that doctrine, and I'll, I'll tell you, it's promulgated by Joseph Prince. And it's hyper-grace, and it's not true grace. Grace is to say, if you're under grace, you're not obeying the pulls and lusts of the flesh. You're not getting tempted into sin. That's being under grace. If you're under grace, you're not in sin. When you get into sin, you're no longer under grace. And what do you have to do? You have to repent and get back under grace you can't go and sin and think the holy spirit is still with you you are devoid of the holy spirit the moment you live in a uh, start to execute a sinful lifestyle the holy spirit's gone from you you've grieved him away the scriptures say the moment you step out from under grace and start to sin the holy spirit is no longer with you he will not go there he will not go into sin. He will not be partners in sin. It's like you've got a friend and you want to go and do something really, really bad. And he says, mate, I'm not going <laughs> to doing that with you. Do it on your own. So you go off and you do it, but he's not with you. You've got a holy friend. He's called the Holy Spirit. He does not go everywhere you think he does. He, he doesn't go with you into those places. And that's why you, f- you feel so rotten later. That's why it feels so horrible and convicting. And that's because that's what he wants to make you feel. He wants you convicted, so you come back to God, ask him for forgiveness, and and you come back under grace, and the Holy Spirit goes, I'll come back to you. But you must be holy. You must be washed in the blood. Amen? So it says, 1 Peter 14 to 16, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. We're not ignorant anymore. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Could there be many more holies in one verse or two verses than that? Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Emphasis on holy. All right? Is that legalism? That's not legalism. That's scripture. That's Christianity. That's true Christianity. We've got to be holy as he is holy. It's our obligation. Don't conform to the sinful nature. Live as he lives. Be holy because he's holy. That's what we're called. That's what we're called to. 1 Peter 2, 1 to 3. And it says, therefore, rid yourselves. So he starts to list a few things here. Rid yourselves of all malice. And malice is an intention or a desire to do evil. If you have an intention or a desire to do evil or to do wrong, rid yourself of malice and all deceit. Don't deceive anybody in anything. If someone says, how many hours did you work today? I I worked uh, four and you only worked two. Don't deceive them. Say two. Jesus knows how many hours you worked. Envy, envying others. Slander of every kind. We, we've got to stop slandering people because we can all suffer in that, can't we? It's very easy to slander. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. See, we've got to grow up in our salvation. You know, if you've been a Christian for any period of time, you know, we should be getting holier and holier and holier and holier and, holier and going from glory to glory in that. So that when people meet you after 40 years of, of, of Christianity, you are a holy person. You're a person of life. They just go, wow, I would like to be like that person. When I'm their age, I want to be just like them. They are impeccable people. I can't see them doing any wrong." They never do anything wrong. They never say a word out of place. You know? And, you know, that, that, that should be the desire of our heart. That should be, to me, the, the, the thing that we should covet is holiness. Covet holiness. If you're going to covet something, cover being holy as he is holy. Try to be like Jesus. Amen? And isn't that shouldn't that be what true Christianity is? Shouldn't it be the example that is being set? that people are just blown away by the Christians, that they can't say anything bad about you because there's nothing bad to say about you. That should be the type of people we are. And this is what God's been dealing with me in. Be holy as I'm holy and teach the people. And I said, but Lord, I don't feel there. Just teach them anyway. Teach yourself. Teach them. That we've got to be holy. It's got to be that way. One Peter two, four to five, and it says, "As you come to him, who are we coming to? the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. Jesus Christ is precious to God. You also, because he's the cornerstone, you also like living stones, are being built into the spiritual house. How dare we be a rotten stone? You know? There's there's, um, salt damp and all that sort of stuff gets into stones, and they have to cut them out, don't they? Out of the, I think there's people that go around and they remove the old stones, put fresh ones in there. You don't want to have that sort of a situation where you're a stone in a wall and you're rotten, and they have to come and rip you out, and Jesus has to pull you out and put a fresh new stone in there. You want you want to be a living stone that shines for Jesus Christ. You don't want to be replaced. But you are also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy, see again, what are we to be? A holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Spiritual sacrifices. We sacrifice ourselves. We lay ourselves down on the altar of God and we say, I am yours, Lord. Spiritual sacrifices. And we are to be a holy priesthood. Guys, you are all priests of the Most High God. Right in your mind, you should be. If if this doesn't make sense to you, then you you need to come and speak to me after, because you need to know that a saint of God is a priest, and only the priests of God are going to get saved. Only the priests of God, those that speak for God. So if that's something that is you're wrestling with, we need you. You need to just accept it. And you need to start letting that permeate. You know how when you start to consider something like that, you start to think, okay, is this true? Is this true? And then as you keep thinking, okay, all right, I am a priest. I am a priest. I'm a priest of God Most High. I'm a priest of God Most High. I must change my attitude. I must change to align my life with that concept so that I am that person. Amen? You've got to change your mindset so you align yourself with what the Scriptures say. You're a priest of God Most High. Priests and priestesses, we are all priests of God Most High. And we need acceptable, we need to be an acceptable spiritual sacrifice to God through Jesus Christ. Turn to Romans 12, 1-2. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I don't think we've learned this one yet, Bill. I think you should. Put it down as one to learn. Another long one. Therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, sorry, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, offer your bodies. So he's talking about the flesh, the flesh part of your body. Offer your body. Now, remember, a body consists of um, a, a physical element, a mental element, and a spiritual element, doesn't it? So offer the body, whole thing. In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Now this is Paul. So anyone who tries to say that Paul was a grace teacher and he wasn't preaching against, the, you know, like Peter and, and John and all that, that's a load of rubbish. There's more actual exhortations from Paul about being holy as well as salvation loss for those that don't follow Christ in a holy and honourable way than any other of the authors in the New Testament. So much for the hyper-grace teaching. It's all rubbish. It's, it's absolutely godless rubbish. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. So if you really want to worship God, give god your bodies give him everything that's why when you get up in the morning and you you, especially women who go out at night and stuff say to god how do you want me to dress guys tend to just put on a pair of jeans and a t-shirt girls tend to go out in the tiniest little mini skirts and you know crop tops and all that stuff they go out and they just about you know excuse me saying this if I offend anybody, but sometimes I can't tell the difference between normal girls on the street and prostitutes. Who's been down Rundle, Mall, uh, Rundle Street on a Friday night? And you can verify what I just said. Yeah? It's like, well, who's the prostitutes here? <laughs> they all look like them now. Yeah, as, as Christians, should we be dressing like that? I just think it's got to be God. It's got to be, God, what do you want me to dress? How do you want me to dress? You know, what, would you, what do you want me to put on? Which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. See, don't conform any longer. This is not legalism because it's in the Bible. Because if, if it's in the Bible, it can't be legalism, can it? If it says it clearly. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. See, we've got to think different. Once we think different about how we are to live, everything changes. It changes with the changing of our mind. Now, is this vicarious? And what I mean by that is, when you accept Jesus Christ, does this happen automatically? If it did, it wouldn't need to be written in here to tell us to do it, would it? Right? If it did, we wouldn't need teachers in the body of Christ to teach us to not do those sinful things. If it just happened and we didn't have to put any effort in, if we didn't have to be uh, make, make an, uh, like an obligation to follow the, the leadings and promptings of the Spirit, if it just happened on its own, which is what some Christian teachers teach, then why write it? Why write lists of sins that Christians should not partake in if Christians would, can't partake in them because they're so holy and they're under grace, they just naturally won't partake in them? No, you don't partake in them because you get warned in Scripture that those who partake in these things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So when you go to do a sinful activity, a little warning bell goes off and says you could lose the kingdom of heaven. Jesus died to, to take you to heaven, but he died to keep you out of hell. Now don't go and do... He died for sin, right? He died to make atonement for sin, so don't go and get involved in sin because he died to atone you for that. So don't get back in there and do it again. So those warning bills have got to keep going off in our head to warn us not to go there. If those warning bells don't go off, that means you've seared your consciences with a hot iron and you no longer will receive teaching. You'll just cut yourself off. And that's what people do. Um, these people on the internet, they will not receive it, even though the Bible says it. If I preach it, they say that's legalism, but the Bible's saying it. Not making it up you know it 'd be great if you just you 're under grace, you can do whatever you want and you get into heaven well we wouldn 't have to be any different. No one could tell us apart from the world we 'd be as pagan as everybody else actually, I think we 'd get worse than the pagans. There was a church that there was a, 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 a sexual act done in that church between a, 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 a stepmother and it, and it was abominable, and paul says. You know, these are things that not even the people in the world do. The pagans don't go there, and you guys are proud because they were under hyper grace. Anything goes. You can't lose your salvation no matter what you do. They got it all wrong. That once saved always saved doctrine is leading so many people back into their old way of life, and you, can poke, you can't poke a stick at how many are actually gone back. You know, Christians. You know, um, who uh, on a Saturday night go out and have drinking binges until all hours, and then can't get to church on Sunday morning because they're hungover, so they go Sunday night instead. And they're going out with their youth pastors to get drunk. You know, don't get me wrong; I'm not totally get, like if if someone has a sip of red wine, that's fine. But I am, I, I do as a as a Christian. I don't think it's right that we get drunk. At all, we should not get drunk. Amen. Christians shouldn't get drunk. It's just the same as this too. It says gluttony is spoken against in the Bible, isn't it? Is gluttony spoken against in the Bible? Doesn't mean we don't eat food because gluttony is spoken against. It's just don't eat excessive amounts of food. Just don't eat. You know, have eat your food, but don't overeat your food. Have a drink, Paul even says to Timothy, drink some red wine because of your frequent illness. they realise benef- it's beneficial. Sometimes I remember when we used to, um, Vina and I used to play um, music in, in hotels and stuff on, on uh, weekends. Vina used to get such a hoarse throat, throat because it would be like four-hour gigs and just four hours of singing non-stop, or 15-minute breaks. But um, her throat would get to the point it would be so hoarse. So she'd go and get a... Um, uh, uh, just a scotch bit of scotch on, on ice it wasn't even on ice was it and she'd just gargle it and her, th- her throat would be healed it's like the spirit would go in there and do something and, and you know Vena wasn't getting drunk she used it for, from a, for like a medicine mm. who knows that if you've got a cold and you have a little bit of brandy with some lemon and hot water you know when you're feeling really ill that's, it's just wonderful <laughs> <laughs> All right, 12.1 to 2. Um, Then you'll be able to test and approve. Now get this, read back on that. So uh, 12.2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So your mind has to be transformed. That's what this is all about. This survey of the New Testament, um, looking up every scripture related to salvation and holiness, Uh, is so that you will have a renewed mind. Why? So you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. And what is it? it? His good, pleasing and perfect will. So that you live according to his good, pleasing and perfect will. So it requires knowledge. It requires you to understand what the scriptures say so that your mind gets renewed so that you can understand what God's will is in every situation. You can make an informed decision because you're not ignorant. Amen. 1 Peter 2 9 to 12. Back to Peter. I <coughs> think I need a bit of that scotch right now. <coughs> yeah, just medicinal. <laughs> 2 9 to 12. Here we go again. You are a chosen people, so we've been chosen, a royal priesthood, so we're priests. Are we priests? Are we priests, amen? Yes, we're priests. Priests, a holy nation. There's that word again, holy. We're a holy nation. We're a holy people, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness Into his wonderful light once you were not a people once you weren't holy once you weren't priests once you were not a people of God but now you are the people of God once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy and dear friends I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires. Now why would he write that if we just naturally did? He wouldn't have written it, would he? But he tells the church, abstain. Abstain. Abstinence. Very important. Whatever has pulled you in the past, whatever sin has had you bound in the past, abstain. Resist. Abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul why do they war against your soul because if sin can get a hold of you it will take you to hell and you're going to hear some scriptures where that is declared very clearly in scripture and i've got i've got tons of them we'll see how many we get through today live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. May you do so good. May you be so good, so holy, so righteous in God that people can't even accuse you of doing wrong because they just, they're like, that man, he's so good. He does everything good. You know, like Stephen, when they, before they stoned him, they said he had a face like an angel. It's just this beautiful man. And they just grit their teeth and they they blocked their ears and they just took him outside and they smashed his head in with with stones, with rocks. Yet he was a holy man. He didn't do anything wrong. 1 Peter 2, 15 to 17, and says this. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men. But listen to this. Live as free men. You're free. But do not use your freedom as a cover or a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God and honor the king. we're told to fear God. I've heard Christians say, why should we fear God? We don't fear a God of love. He's a God of love. Why should we fear him? He's a God of wrath also. 1 Peter 2.24. And it says, if I can find it, here it is. He himself bore our sins in, the, in his body on the tree so that... This, see, this scripture should be posted on church's walls. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Then it adds, by his wounds you have been healed. You know that scripture, by his wounds you have been healed? They all uh, churches today use that in relation to physical healing. It's not coming from that context. It's coming from um, the healing is from sin. We've been healed from sin. Jesus died so that we wouldn't sin because we've been healed from it because sin is like sickness. You know, who knows people that are like... Uh, we know people that have been involved in gambling and we say, oh, it's a, it's a sickness, Gambling's a sickness. You know, so we think of a sinful activity as sickness. You know, uh, men that are um, child molesters, we say he's sick. He's sick. He's got a sickness. He can't control himself. It's sin. That's why we need Jesus Christ, because he heals us of these sicknesses of sin. They're sin sicknesses. That's what they are. And if you do them long enough, they make you sick. They change the way you think and your whole personality changes and it just you just become this distorted person. You don't want to go there. So Jesus Christ died and his wounds have healed us from sin. Sure, we can use that scripture for physical healings as well. But it's not directly related to that. It's directly related to the sicknesses of sin. 1 Peter 3.12 and it says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayers, but the, faces of, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. All right. So the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, on those that live according to what he's called us to live by. Holy people. His eyes are on the holy people, and he hears their prayers. But his, ear, his face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And evil could be indulging in all kinds of sin that we shouldn't be indulging in. 1 Peter 4, 1-7. And this, is the, this bit here is the essence of this, this sermon. 1 Peter 4, 1-7. And I'll try to get through it as quick as I can because there's a lot, a lot of scriptures there. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Who knows that addictions of sin can be very, very hard to break? You know, you've you've seen the... Uh, We've seen in movies and, and we, we know of uh, withdrawal symptoms. If someone is on heroin and they try to break the heroin addiction, and heroin is a sin, it's a drug that we shouldn't take, but it's a, when you get involved in that, you're involved in evil, wicked things, and you start taking this drug, and it gets a hold of you. The claws of it go very deep physically into you. So when you try to break it, there's this major withdrawal. And you see these movies where they show the person reeling on his bed for days and, you know temperatures and they just keep giving them water and you know they just keep them away from drugs because if they just had the drug again that whole th- process would, would end and they'd, have to, they'd be back in, in the clutches of the sin but so when it says in verse 1 therefore Christ suffered in his body to arm your cells also with the same attitude because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin you have to suffer to give up sin if you suffer in relation to a sin, it's something that pulls you and you really want to do it with all your heart, and you just say, No, I'm not going to do it. And it hurts. Depending on the kind of sin, it hurts in different ways. It hurts emotionally, it hurts physically, it hurts mentally. Um, you can feel really, really down. You can just, you know, the pull of it is so strong that you're just depressed as a result. You know, you have to suffer to give up these sins. But when that time is done, when you go through that withdrawal and you're out of it and you're no longer tempted by it anymore, isn't that a remarkable thing? You see these same thing with the heroin addicts, like I remember the one in the movie Ray, you know Ray Charles? After he'd done his thing and he kicked the heroin, he's just a better person. And It shows him this you know, light on his face and he's just this wonderful person again. So you have to suffer to overcome sin. And that's the unfortunate thing about this life. We suffer, don't we? It's a life of suffering. As a result, this is verse 2, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for human desires, but rather for the will of God. So that's where we should be. We should be living the rest of our life for the will of God and not for human desires. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, you spend enough time in the past living in debauchery, <clears throat> and debauchery is excessive indulgence in sensual pleasures. Sensual pleasures that are probably wicked in God's sight. That's debauchery. Living in debauchery, living in lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. And then it says this, the end of all things is near. Therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. The end of all things is near. The return of Christ, in my opinion, is well, as I've always said, we will see Christ the moment we pass on from this life. You know, for some of us, it might be many, many years away. For others of us, it might be sooner than we, we expect. But the fact is, the second coming of Christ is really no longer than, you know, perhaps 50 to 80 years for most of us. That's when we'll see him. It won't be the second coming onto the planet, maybe, but it'll be the coming... Well, we would come into his presence. Because it says it's destined for a man to die once and then to face judgment. And we face judgment. So make sure the life that you live now, you live in holiness, righteousness, resisting the sin nature. By the power of the blood of Jesus. That's what God wants us to do. Galatians 5.16. And it says, So I say, live by the Spirit... And you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Live by the Spirit. So when someone says, oh, what you're preaching, you know, about this holiness stuff, is you're you're preaching legalism, say, no, 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 we're not preaching legalism. What we're preaching is that we live by the Spirit, that we should live by the Spirit. If you live by the Spirit, it says here, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. So, if someone is telling you, don't tell me to live a holy life because you're a legalist, I live, and, and they claim to be filled with the Spirit, and, and yet they're sort of pro not telling people not to sin, then you've got to say, well, I don't think you live by the Spirit. Because it says here, the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. And get this, they are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. What's Alistair Crowley's f- famous motto? Do what thou want or do what thou will, will be the whole of the law, right? And that became the motto of the 60s, do what you want. Do what you want to do, be what you want to be, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, all that sort of stuff. There's so many songs, so many songs that have the do what you want motto going on. But we who are led by the Spirit do not do what we want. We do what God wants because we're led by the Spirit. They are in conflict with each other. The sinful nature and the Spirit are in conflict. So who's ever felt conflict? Yeah? That's normal. That's good. If you're feeling conflict, if, there's, if your conscience declares to you, don't do this, that's good. You need to have the conscience. You ask God to make your conscience louder. I've asked God in many times, make it really, make the con- my conscience really loud. And the conscience gets directed. But when you become a Christian, your conscience gets taken over by the Spirit of God. And, and the Spirit of God becomes your conscience. See, people in the world can have a conscience, they can not do wrong as well. That's because he's written the law on the tablets of our heart, right? And the law is spiritual, right? The law is from God. So an atheist says, "Oh, you Christians just think you're the only ones that do good. We do good too." Well, of course you do. <laughs> of course you do good. Why do you think? Because you know, if it was just um, fit to survive, what would what would be wrong with murder? If it's just the fit to survive, if evolution is true, what is wrong with murder? Nothing. What's wrong with abortion? Nothing. What's wrong with anything that's bad? Nothing. But they have a conscience. They have their own system of laws. They have their own Ten Commandments. And they tell you what is wrong and right. But they've got no basis in that. It's just what they think. But the thing is, it comes from God, ultimately, because it's written on the tablets of their heart. But they deny God, so... You can't convince them of that argument. <laughs> Galatians 5, 16 to 23, and it says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. See, you don't, you're not under the law if you're led by the Spirit of God. So if you're not led by the Spirit of God, you are under the law. So if a Christian is still sinning continuously, they are under the law. So someone who tells you that you don't have to, you know, follow the requirements of the law in the sense of, you know, If you sin, you sin and and whatever, and and you can never lose your salvation, all those sorts of teachings. All you say is you're under legalism, man. You can turn it right back on them. You're a legalist because you're under the law according to Scripture because you still obey the lusts and pulls of the sinful nature. We try to resist it because the Scriptures tell us to resist it, so we're not under the law because we're getting governed by the Spirit of God. Does that make sense? I hope it makes sense. Now, it says this, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. And why is Paul writing them? Because they're not so obvious. Too. But he makes them obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, which comes from the word pharmakeia, which is um, also includes drug-taking, hallucinogenic drugs. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. And we've all done these things. Selfish ambition, not all of them, maybe a lot of them. Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. People that come in and cause factions and dissensions among people. I know people that come into relationships and destroy relationships. They come in and they talk bad about someone to that person. Then they talk bad about that person to that person. Then they say, did you know that person said this about you? And then they say to that person, you know this person said this about you? And it goes back and forth until their, their friendships has been destroyed and they haven't even had an argument. It's because one person mediated the whole dissension. It's craziness. Happened to me with a few friends. Guess what else is bad according to this obvious list of sinful things that are sinful? Drunkenness. Envy, orgies and the like. I warned you. Now get this. I'm wondering what... Anyone's got a King James? Yep. Yep. Mine says, "I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God." Now, Daniel, what does yours say? That's verse um, well, that's the end of verse 21, the, the B section. Okay, there you go. Same thing. Does it say the same thing? All right? King James? Authorized, and I tell you as I did before that those who did that live like this will not inherit now who's he telling who's he telling this to is it the church or is it the unbelievers who wouldn't be reading this letter <laughs> because it's the church why is he telling the church that if you continue to do all these sins you will not inherit the kingdom of God now, is that a heavy teaching Now, the church rejects that sort of teaching these days. If I teach, that's why the church is so small, because people don't want to hear that. But I can't preach anything else, I'm sorry. Because the scriptures clearly say it, that if I don't tell you that unless you resist the sin nature, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. If I don't tell you that, guess what? If you don't inherit the kingdom of God, I become accountable. But if I've told you... And then you don't inherit the kingdom of God. I've done my part. I've said it. And if that means we only have a dozen people in church, that's what we end up with. Because people don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to hear what the scriptures truly say. That's why we got a thousand people in a church down the road here and we've got just a handful here. Because down the road they're preaching prosperity, they're preaching joy, that Jesus came to make you the happiest people on the face of the planet. But the scriptures have something else to say. And it's not preached because pastors are too scared to preach it. And they read it and guess what you do? And I know what it's like. You just read it real quick and go, keep flicking. (laughs) Like that, you know? Who's speed read those bits. And you just miss it. You miss it. But I like to stop on those words. Let's go back to those words. Where are those words? i've lost them six which galatians i'm in ephesians galatians uh 5, 16 to 23 and it says this i tell warn you now he warned you as i did before that those who live like this and what was the list of things the the those that the acts of the sinful nature those that are, um live in sexual immorality impurity debauchery idolatry witchcraft which is as i said drug taking and witchcraft um hatred discord jealousy fits of rage We all have to overcome these things. Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I tell you, I warn you. He didn't say I tell you, I warned you. It's a warning. Like I said, you want that "Eh, eh, eh," warning. Don't go there. Stop now. Repent. Turn away. Turn around. Go the other direction. We need the warning. Because I warned you, as I did before, that those... Christians who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, man, that's in your face. Does it say it elsewhere? Let's have a look at Ephesians 5, 1 to 10. And it says in Ephesians, there's one book forward, Ephesians 5, and it says, Be imitators of God. So we've got to imitate God. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us, and he gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then he goes on. But among you there must not be even a hint. Not even a hint. A hint's a small thing. You know when you hint, you give them a hint. It's only a little, you don't give them a big thing. You know, if there's a big word you're trying to give them a hint for, you just go, um, it's just this, just little. You give them a little hint. Because if you give them a big hint, everyone yells at you, oh, you just gave it away, you know what I mean? The whole thing, you told him, the, you basically told him, give them a hint, a little bit, a little bit. And it says, but among you there must not even be a hint, not even a little bit of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. There it is again, that word, holy. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, listen to this, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person such a man is idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God such a person has no inheritance if you have no inheritance that means you get zero you know if you're you're among three or four brothers or, and sisters or whatever and you, your parents die and you go to the will and it says you get nothing that means zero man you walk out of there empty-handed the rest it goes to the others you know who who wants to lose their inheritance in the kingdom of heaven does anyone here want to lose their inheritance you don't want to get to heaven and and they open the book of life which is like opening your will so sorry you get nothing you get nothing. Your name's not in here. It was for a little while, but it's been removed because you gave in to the sinful nature. The sin that I died for, the sin that I was crucified for, the sin that I was beaten black and blue, it, all of that stuff I went through, the intensity of it. I went through because of the how diabolical in nature sin is. That's how far he went to show the comparative on comparative terms, how bad sin is. So when you're tempted to sin, and you're tempted to sin, just think, Jesus was taking a whip on his back. For me, if I was to go and ha- sin, would I, it, just to be able to do it, would I let someone with a cat of nine tails whip my back just once and shred my back of all its skin? Would, when you're about to sin, think of that. Would I go and let myself get beaten? Or you're about to sin, would you go to that sin if you knew Jesus would have to come back and take his beating all over again? Would you do that sin then? Well, that's what we're doing. We're crucifying the Lord all over again. Because the thing he died for, we're continuing to immerse ourselves in. So we've got to just say no to the sinful nature. And we've got to really, really reason this in our mind because it's only going to make you feel better. It might hurt at the time, oh, I really want to do that, but I can't. Good. So that you don't do what you want. You do what the Spirit wants. You live according to His will. It's, a, it's as simple as that, but it takes. It's, you have to suffer because those that have suffered have, are done with sin. They've done with it. From verse 6, let no one deceive you. <laughs> I like how he put that there. Let no one deceive you. And he also warned us that many deceivers will come in the last days. Teaching these false doctrines, these hyper grace teachers, these Joseph princes in the world—I'm naming him. I'm naming him out. I tell you, he's—he's teaching in some of the biggest churches in the world, and he is teaching a diabolical uh, doctrine, and leading thousands and thousands and thousands of people astray into his hyper grace teaching. And there's more. He's not the only one. There's actually there's tons of them that do it. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Don't be partners with them. See what it says? Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. If, If you get pulled back into disobedience, if you get pulled back into that sin nature, God's wrath, it says, God's wrath will come on you. For you were once darkness, but now... You are light in the Lord. So live as children of light. For the fruit of uh, light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And get this, and find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what pleases Him. And please Him in everything that you do. Since then, this is Colossians 3, 1-10. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Set your minds on things above. Don't set your minds on things of the earth. Set your minds on things above. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ. That's where our life should be. Our life should be hidden with Christ. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. That's where we want to be. So we've got to be in Christ. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, put to death. Put it to death. The sin nature, the earthly nature, the fleshly nature, put it to death. He tells us to. Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. And listen to this. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. And then he says something and he says this to us today. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Now when I say that or when I read that, what I'm saying is if you were living that way yesterday, that's the life you used to live. That's the life you used to live. You don't live that life any longer. You live according to the Spirit now and you set your hearts on things above. You set your minds on things above. That's where you should lay your hope. And don't Set your mind on earthly matters, earthly things. And then he goes on. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Isn't that powerful? 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 to 8. Just go forward a few, uh, one book forward, 1 Thessalonians. And we go to 4, and it says, Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. And I say that to all of you as well, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. So I'm saying that to you as well. Whatever you've been doing, do it more and more as long as it's the righteous things. Don't keep doing more and more evil things. Do the righteous things more and more and more and find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what pleases the Lord. Make it a study. Start a journal. What pleases the Lord? Start reading the scriptures. Make notes. You know, ask God, what pleases you? And let him give you time to, you know, think of things. They come into your mind and you start writing down things. And come and tell me, show me a list of things that please the Lord. Because I want to see those lists as well. Because I want to apply those things. You know what I mean? So 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 to 8. And it says uh, from verse 2, You know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is God's will that you should be... Is that word again? What does the King James say there? S- sanctified? Yeah, same thing. Sanctified, holy, consecrated. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, I like that, holy, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honourable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this man- matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure but to live holy life. Therefore he who rejects this instruction does not reject man but God. So if you reject these instructions to be holy, you're rejecting God. And that's where the end of that scripture is. So I think they all backed each other up, didn't they? And saved the big one for last. Back to 1 Peter. 1 Peter 4 verse 17 and it says this, for it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And I declare that today. it's time for judgment to begin with the family of God, with the people of God. God always deals with His people first. And in the coming revival the, and, and, and the coming of the second coming of Jesus Christ, He'll deal with the church, and he'll do what he has to do to refine it and purify it and make the church ready for His appearing. Because he is not going to come for a spoiled bride. He's not going to come for a filthy bride, a corrupt bride, a deceived bride, a bride that's not heavenly minded. He's not coming for a bride that's bent on earthly things, that just wants to live like the pagans. He's not coming for a pagan bride. He's become coming for a holy bride. And that's who, if you say you're Christian, that's what you've got to be. You've got to be holy. Amen? For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now that's interesting. Those who do not obey the gospel of God. That's unbelievers and professed believers. Christians who claim to be Christian, but they don't obey The gospel of God. That's why when Jesus is about uh, casting those out of heaven, when they come to me, they'll say, Lord, Lord. He says they did not obey God. They did not obey God. So obedience is still part of Christianity. It's not a thing of the past. The scriptures clearly declare it. Nothing's changed in the scriptures. And I was saying this to someone the other day. You know what's changed in Christianity? People don't read the Bible anymore. At least the ministers of these big churches. You know, I, I've I've known ministers. They barely read the scriptures. What they do is they read the latest book. And they get the latest thought, the latest philosophy, the latest mindset. And they teach from those books. And they rip their sermons out of there, but not word for word. They write it in their own words. They're ripping their words, and the thoughts and the concepts from these books. That's why, when you know the um, purpose-driven church book came out, you know Rick Warren, all the big ministers got into it. They're all reading his book. They're all applying his principles. They're all getting watered down. It's like adding water to cordial. Just keep pouring the water in, boys. The More we pour in, the more people come, but the more diluted it gets. And who knows, if you, if you drink a glass of cordial that's not got enough coidal in it, it tastes terrible, doesn't it? I don't know how that is. You put, if you put that much orange coidal in the bottom of a glass and put, fill up the gla, you know, a tall glass with water, it tastes... Ugh. But if you put the right amount, it's nice. And then if you put too much, it's also too sweet. Yeah. You've got to get the balance right, don't you? That's what we, why we've got to teach in accord with sound doctrine. It's got to be pure from Scripture. Amen. Now, I think I've finished, or have I? One more verse. And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, how's that? <laughs> Guys, don't think judgment's going to be easy. You know, you could be the holiest man on the planet, and it's still going to shock the life out of you. And uh, all I can say is start trying to make it as easy on yourself as possible. Live the best life you can live now. Live holy to him give yourself all to him you know and i know i'm saying this to me i have to continually tell myself remind myself give myself to him in every way who knows that's hard when you've got a distraction like work you know you go to work and you've been there 18 hours and the the place is like a whirlwind and you walk out all dizzy after your day of work and you go oh jesus where is he jesus you know what i mean It's easy to get like that, isn't it? But I know Daniel was the most busiest man in Babylon. You know, he was the um, second to Nebuchadnezzar. Yet he still found three times in the day, morning, noon and night to pray. And he'd go up into his room and he'd open up his windows to Jerusalem and he'd get down on his knees and he'd pray to God. The busiest man in Babylon, if he could find that time, so could we. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I just pray that you help us to give ourselves to you completely. Just renew our minds. Change the way we think about Christianity. Change the way we think about life. Change our desires and our passions. Warn us before we step into sin. Warn us. Let the warning bells go off loud in our ears. And let the cross come streaming into our consciousness so we can see you hanging there for that sin. And that, then we would say no and we would resist it with a tear in our eye even, Lord, as we, as we gaze upon you and what you did for us. Lord, please forgive us for the sins that we've committed. Please help us to be a holy people that we would not call ourselves Sinners, but we would call ourselves the people of God. That we could call ourselves that because we live that. That we could say we are a holy nation. A people belonging to God. Royal priesthood. That we could use these terms in relation to ourselves because we are that, Lord. Make us your saints. Make us those people that you long to see at your coming to embrace so that we can be uh, so welcomed into eternal dwellings, Lord. Forgive us for all our sin and help us now to change so that we can please you in every single way. Make this life matter to us. Make it serious in our uh, in our minds so that we really uh, walk according to the path that you've set for us to walk and that will not stray. So Lord, we just give our So over to you again. We recommit our lives to you. Amen. And from this day forth, Lord, please help us now to walk in you and for you and walk by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. We just pray this in your wonderful name. Bless our time of fellowship now. Bless all those that didn't come today, but their hearts are with us. I just pray you bring them all next week for Easter, for the Easter service. And uh, may they be blessed this week and may somehow what was spoken today start to emanate into their life uh, by the Spirit. We pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thanks, guys.